Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah, and Gilead's wife bare him sons. And his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah, and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit your father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brethren, and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah, and went out with him. And it came to pass in the process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was so, that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. And they said unto Jephthah, Come, and be our captain, that we may fight the children of Ammon. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Did not ye hate me, and expel me out of my father's house? And why are you come to me now, when ye are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, Therefore we turn again to thee now, that thou mayest go with us and fight against the children of Ammon, and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, If ye bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon, and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, The Lord be witness to us, if we do not do so according to thy words. They swore an oath. They swore an oath before God and before Jephthah. Then Jephthah went to the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and captain over them. And Jephthah uttered all this word, all of his words before the Lord of Mizpah. And Jephthah sent messengers unto the king of the children of Ammon, saying, What hast thou to do with me, that thou art come against me to fight in my land? Notice how the same land that he was cast out from, when the elders came back to him, and made him their captain. Jephthah ultimately became the head of the entire land over the elders of that land. And the king of the children of Ammon answered unto the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land, when they came out of Egypt, from Ammon even unto Jabbok, and unto Jordan, now therefore restore those lands again peaceably. And Jephthah sent messengers again unto the kingdom of the children of Ammon, and said unto him, Thus saith Jephthah, Israel took not away the land of Moab, nor the land of children of Ammon. But when Israel came upon Egypt, and walked through the wilderness unto the Red Sea, and came to Kadesh, then Israel sent messengers unto the king of Edom, saying, Let me, I pray thee, pass through thy land. But the king of Edom would not hearken unto their and in a like manner they sent unto the king of Moab, but he did not consent, and the Israel abode in Kadesh. Then when they went along to the wilderness, encompassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab, and came by the east of the side of the land of Moab, and pitched on the other side of Arnon, but came not within the border of Moab, for Arnon was the border of Moab. And Israel sent messengers unto the Sihon king of the Amorites, the king of Heshbon, 
And the Israel said unto him, Let us pass, we pray thee, through thy land by, into, thy, into my place. But Sihon trusted not Israel to pass through his coast. But Sihon gathered all of his people together and pitched in Jaza and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all of his people into the land of Israel. And they smote them. So Israel possessed all of the land of the Amorites, the inhabitants of that country. And they possessed all of the coast of the Amorites, from Arnon even to Jabbok, and from the wilderness even unto Jordan. So now the Lord God of Israel hath dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel, and shouldn't thou possess it? Wilt not thou possess that which Chemosh thy God giveth thee to possess? Whosoever the Lord our God shall drive out from before us, them we will possess. And now art thou anything better than ba Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel, or did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and her towns, and in Arawer and her towns, and all, in all that cities that belonged to the coast of Arnon, three hundred years, why therefore did ye not recover them within that time? Wherefore I have not sinned against thee, but thou dost. Wherefore I have not sinned against thee, but thou doest me wrong to war against me. The Lord the Judge be judged this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. Howbeit the king of the children of Ammon hearkened not unto the words of Jephthah which he sent him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, and passed over Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord, and said, if thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet them, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them from Arawer, even till thou come to Minneth, even twenty cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards, with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and, behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances, and she was his only child. Besides her he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he sought her, saw her, that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to which that hath proceed out of thy mouth. For so much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee, of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. And she said unto her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months, that I may go up and down up upon the mountains, and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. And he said, Go. 
and he sent her away for two months. And she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of the two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed, and she knew no man. And it was the custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went early, that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in a year. Thus is the reading of Judges 11. a man who was committed to God and he heard the voice of the of God he didn't have the Holy Spirit at the time but he heard the voice of God and he knew that God was calling him to do this thing and yet he was still exiled from the very place where he was raised and where he was born his homeland now <clears throat> I'm not a historian I don't know the gaps of time that took place between his exile and when the leaders came to him and the elders asked him to come back and be their leader. But I have to imagine being in exile. It must have been the most tumultuous time he'd ever been through. To be born and raised and to live in your home and to be in your own home exiled away from it, not being able to see your family. They didn't have social media. They didn't have FaceTime. They didn't have a phone. They didn't have Telegram. They didn't have writers to take letters in secret. He was alone with the Lord in exile until the elders brought him back. And it wasn't until he had done and conquered all of the men in that land, those 20 cities. Even though he said he was coming in peace, all he wanted was to pass in a peaceful manner. And yet, everyone who took up the sword against Jephthah was ultimately slain because Jephthah had God on his side. amazing going through a divorce being in a class of royalty in Newport Beach having married into a family of great influence and great wealth the fact that I come from nothing I've been put into a position of exile in my own 
country in my own town in Newport Beach. I didn't have the the money or the resources to serve my ex-wife with divorce papers. I don't have the money or the resources to have my children with me at all times. The only thing I've been left with in this time was my job and the Holy Spirit. And quite frankly, when I first started out on this path, I thought I was making a mistake. And I tried to turn back a few times. But every time I was met with resistance, and not a physical fighting resistance, but a, an emotional resistance. And yes, I probably said some things that I probably should not have said in anger and in, in agony and, and misery. But as I look back, there were things that I think needed to be said. Because sometimes, even when the truth is all you have to hold on to, and the Holy Spirit is all you have to hold on to, it can be more than enough, and it can be more than satisfying. As I'm living here in exile, in the place I like to call New Providence, I feel that I have become closer to God in ways that I could have never imagined and in ways that I could not have done sitting in a comfortable house, sleeping in a comfortable bed with a plethora of groceries in the refrigerator. <clears throat> it's a hard life. And yet it's nothing compared to being in ancient times being exiled in my own land. Imagine if you were Jephthah. Living during this time in the Old Testament. Jesus hasn't even come yet. He's not even born yet. He's not even going to be born for probably another two to four hundred years. And all you have to rely on is the fact that you hear God's voice. People must have thought he was... Well crazy and that sometimes I felt like I was crazy sometimes I felt like what if I'm not listening to the Holy Spirit what if this is what if this is something else what if this is something dark something dark that is leading me down a path away from God to dismantle my family and to prove a point because I was actually stepping out and wanting to follow God in a way that I had never felt or felt or had seen other people do before. Actually, I take that back. Take it back. There was there was one other time where I witnessed something similar to this. It was back in 2019 
I had gone to Nigeria on a missions trip with a group called Integritas. One of my, um, at the time he was acquaintance, but now he's a, I call him a friend. But we went there with a group of, of men and while we were there, we got to meet with, you know, the missionaries that are out there and working are on the front lines. And this gentleman, when he was telling us a little bit about his story and where he came from, he actually came from a family of great wealth. His family had a very successful business. His family had a succession plan that he, and I hope I'm not butchering this story, but I'm, I'm trying to do it from recollection. <clears throat> but he had the opportunity to step in, into that succession plan and become a part of his family business and be very successful. However, he felt the Holy Spirit's call on his life. And he and his wife at the time, I think they were engaged, but they moved to Nigeria to become missionaries. He said no to the money. He said no to the success. He said no to the succession plan that other people in his family likely or would have said yes to and for what i don't even think he knew at the time i didn't know at the time i still don't know what i'm walking into i just know that this is the path that god has called me to and when i heard that there was somebody else that was willing to set aside success and wealth and fame to go move to the middle of nowhere in Nigeria simply to heed the calling of the Holy Spirit on his life. The fact that his wife even said yes and that she didn't leave him is fucking mind-blowing in my mind. But she stayed with him and they went, and now they work closely along with um, city ministries in Nigeria, and they're, they're helping with an orphanage, and they're helping at an IDP camp, and if you don't know what an IDP camp is, it's a, it's a, IDP stands for Internally Displaced People or Peoples, where People live in their own country, but because of terrorism or natural disasters or things like that, they become orphaned and they go to these IDP camps. And they said yes to that, not knowing that that was going to be what they were going to be doing. And I forget how many years he's been there, but the reality is it doesn't matter. He went and he's been successful and he's done what the Holy Spirit called him to do. And when we were there, we got to go to an IDP camp and we got to meet these children that were ages 8 to 14. And I remember when we went into the IDP camp, it, we, we played soccer with the kids on the outside. 
And we played with them for, I don't know, I would say like a good 30, 45 minutes. And we just played soccer, just hung out. And we literally just rolled up in vans and the kids brought out soccer balls. And obviously we can't speak the language, but the kids were like, you could tell they wanted to just play some soccer. They just want to have some fun. They want to experience some joy in the midst of their despair. And so we played soccer with these kids and we had, we had so much fun. Holy shit, man. It was the most fun I've ever had. And then after we got done playing soccer, they asked if we wanted to, you know, take a tour of the facility. And when I say facility, <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> by, by Western standards, If we hadn't had so much fun playing soccer with these kids, I probably would have just broke down and cried because of how just underfunded and dilapidated and simple the life that they lived was. And we got to go see their bunk beds. And uh, I remember there was one kid, his name, well, he had, he had an adopted name and he called himself Job. And I'll tell you why he called himself Job later, but he and some of his friends, uh, you know, they, they wanted to show me their, their bunk beds. And I was like, oh, so where, you know, show me where your room is. And they, they led me to the room and I was like, oh, where, where's, where's your bed? And I remember him, you know, pointing out which bed was his. And I was like, wow, that's a, you know, cause he had some decorations on. I was like, that's a proper bed. No, that's, that looks good. And, um, uh, there was a there was a rainbow flag in the window and i remember standing there looking at the rainbow flag and just it was the sweetest thing they were they were so joyful about just having a bed where they could sleep and that they had friends and the room was kind of illuminated with the setting sun of these these colors of the light shining through the colors of the rainbow flag in the window and I remember getting down on my knees and I was taking a picture of all these tiny little shoes that were lined up in a row because for living in a very desperate situation they were very organized it was very tidy they they had been taught to have a little bit of discipline and being able to practice keeping what they had even though it was next to nothing just organized in in an orderly manner that looked very well kept it wasn't dirty it wasn't it didn't smell it was just it was just simple. It was very modest. But they were so happy and content with the, what they had. And I remember we walked outside and they showed us around. And there was a, they had like a little cafeteria area where they would hang out and, you know, have meals and stuff together. And 
the shape of the facility was kind of in a octagonal or you know sphere, uh, circle around a uh, courtyard in the middle. There was no grass; it was just it was just dirt and mud. But there were a couple trees, and one of the trees was very big. And me and a couple of the other guys were over there, and um, uh, I, I forget how it happened, but one of the kids was able to just say like, hey, do you want to see us climb a tree? And, you know, he was saying it in a, in a broken English way, but we're like, yeah, let's see it. Let's see you guys climb the tree. And one of the guys that was with us, he was like, let's see who can get to the top the fastest. And so, you know, boys will be boys. And the boys sprinted and they bolted up that tree. And I've not seen kids climb a tree that fast ever. And they just had so much fun, dude you knew that that was just something that they did on a regular basis, just hanging out in a tree and just having fun. And uh, at one point, I was able to kneel down and, and ask Job, I was like, you know, how did you find yourself here? And I'll never forget the response that he gave. And he said, he said, uh, Boko Haram, Boko Haram killed my family. And if you don't know what Boko Haram is, just go Google it. They're very active in, in uh, certain parts of Nigeria. And me being inquisitive and feeling like he was open enough to just to talk about it, I asked him, what do you mean, Boko Haram? What happened? What happened to your family? So I'm kneeling on the ground and more kids start kind of quietly coming around us. And he starts to tell me that, and I'll paraphrase for him because it was a, you know, he had some broken English and he was trying to describe what had happened, but I'll paraphrase for him. But he said that one night he was in his village in, uh, uh, it was, it was a more Northern part of Nigeria. Uh, Nigeria, uh, in a modern sense is kind of divided in half. You have, you have a Southern half of Nigeria and you have the Northern half of Nigeria. The Northern half of Nigeria is, is primarily Muslim based. Um, you have the, um, you have Boko Haram that's very active up there. Uh, you also have, uh, what's the, I'm blanking on the term for the tribal people that are up there. It may come back to me. But then you have the southern part that's more uh, developed and a little bit more like Christian. And they, ha they don't have the, the same terrorist issues in southern Nigeria as they do in northern Nigeria. Oh, Fulani. So the Fulani, they're they're primarily in uh, like the like middle section and northern hemisphere of Nigeria or northern northern half of Nigeria. And the Fulani, they are predominantly Muslim. More and more have been coming to Christ, which has been amazing. 
but he said anyway he was in a he was in part of his village in the northern part of Nigeria I would say within a hundred or 150 miles of where his IDP camp was he said one night Boko Haram came into the village and they just started killing everybody machetes guns in the middle of the night while you're sleeping in your bed terrorists came into his village and just started killing people and um, and if you've got children listening to this please you know send them into another room because they don't need to hear this They killed his mother. I'll spare you the graphic details of how they, they killed his mother. But his father I don't know if I should tell the story. father they uh, they cut him down with their machetes and Job was there he saw these men take machetes to his father's back and body and they started hacking at him and I don't even remember him telling me that they gave him an opportunity to, you know, recant a faith because he wasn't, he wasn't a Christian. He was just, he was just a, he was just a dude with his family in the village in northern Nigeria and they came through and they started hacking at him. But I do remember him saying that they put a gun to his head and they shot him in the head, they shot him in the head. I don't know if they shot him in the face, but 
They hit him with machetes. And Job said he remembered seeing his father go to the ground. And a man put a gun to his dad's head. Shot him right in front of him. And by God's grace, Job was able to escape. For some reason, they didn't kill him. Maybe he, they just forgot about him or he just was able to find his way out. But they fucking murdered his family in front of him. In the middle of the night. Somebody then found Job and they brought him back to the IDP camp. And I don't recall what his given name was at birth, but when he got to the IDP camp, and it's very common with kids in these tra just incredibly tragic situations that if they get found by somebody and particularly if it's a faith-based or Christian organization, as they're going through the program to kind of rehabilitate these kids because of the trauma that they've experienced, they tend to adopt biblical names. And I asked him why he chose the story of Job. And this kid couldn't have been more than nine years old. Nine years old. And he had been at the IDP camp for about a year, which means as an eight-year-old, he saw both his mother and his father murdered in cold blood in front of his face. And he told me that he chose the story of Joe because... His life has been filled with despair and tragedy and gruesome murder. As an eight-year-old fucking kid. And I, I broke. It broke something inside of me. When he told me his story and what he had gone through and how miraculously he had found himself at an IDP camp and that over a year he was able to reintegrate himself and find new friends at the IDP camp because a lot of these kids have very similar stories. It's fucking scary, dude. It broke me. It rocked my world, man. I wanted nothing more than to just take this kid home with me. I didn't know how, I didn't know how, like why or what I was going to do, but I knew that I felt like I needed to just rescue this child and just raise him as one of my own, but I couldn't do it. What are you going to do when you hear somebody's story that just 
just destroys you on the inside. And you're just hearing the story. You didn't even have to live it. Just like Job, just like Jephthah, just like so many other millions of people around the world that are completely exiled in their own country. They're an internally displaced person because the land that they grew up in, because of the brokenness of this world, it fucked them up. It fucked up their life. But we can't let Satan fuck up our lives in that manner. Because that's what he wants to happen. He wants you to feel so much anger and resentment and that feeling of wanting to get revenge and just fucking kill everybody who murdered your family, who ruined your family's life, who ruined your life or tried to ruin your life. But the fact that through a miracle someone can be found and the Holy Spirit can reach down and just pluck that person out of that situation and place them in a situation where they could meet a Westerner like me. Somebody that might be able to make a difference in their life, even for a brief moment, even if it's not even a financial thing, just the fact that you can just Give them a hug and not just a, not a basic hug, but like a long hug where you just feel that you can just love on that person, that you feel the despair and the brokenness that they've had to deal with. And it is nothing in comparison that you've ever had to deal with in your entire fucking life. That's loving on somebody. We've lost that as a culture in America. When we see somebody that's broken, we want to walk to the other side of the road. It's sad, but it's true. But when you go on a mission trip, you feel like you want to express love to everybody. You want to talk to everybody about Jesus. You want to give everybody a hug. But when you come back home, because culturally we don't do that, you just fall right back into the same routine. Sometimes when you're exiled in your own country, it can be devastating for some people. And they just need somebody to know that they see them as a human being and not just some broken thing that needs to be walked away from. It needs to be walked towards. It needs to be embraced. It needs to be told that somebody loves them and cares for them. And even though you live hundreds of thousands of miles away, love them and you still care for them and you still pray for them every single day and even if you never see that person ever again in this life I tell you one thing when you get to heaven you're going to see that person again 
and that's going to be that's going to be a feeling that you could have never felt on earth that's a feeling that can only come from Christ the fact that you got to hug a nine year old boy who had his family murdered and he's living as an orphan in destitute but he's still able to be happy that's what it means to be a Jesus follower let's close in prayer if you're praying with me something else I like to do along with reading the Lord's Prayer is raising my hands up high both hands and just saying Father God I need you I want you I'm your son I'm your daughter I want to be in your presence please hold me so if you're listening to this I ask that you raise your both hands up high way up high And say this prayer with me and just ask your father God to hold you because he wants to our father who is in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Your name be praised. The Lord of heaven's armies, the King of glory, Yahweh. Amen. Amen.